Hey, Exponential, welcome back. This is Peyton Jones. I am here today on Frontlines for our last one of 2020. And anything that kicks 2020 out the door is going to be a good thing. So we're about ready to see the backside of 2020. Now, the secret is 2021 is not going to be any better. I mean, there's no like magic uh, wand that's going to be waved and all your problems will go away on New Year's Eve. But I have with me here today someone who can make it a little bit better. I have with me Nathan Camp from Start Church. Welcome on, Nathan. Thanks for having me, Peyton. Always loved getting together and talking about church planning. And I am hoping next year, while there's no magic pill, I am looking forward to tearing the calendar page off and putting my faith toward it. Yeah, baby. <laughs> hey, hey, anything that eases the pain, but you know, that's what you're here to do. And I know that's what Star Church does. Yeah, right. And you know, uh, it, it, we have to point this out that you and I are friends. We actually like each other. Well, yeah. I should say you're actually one of the few people that likes me. So uh, at least you pretend to. So I'll, man, you're I'll take an easy it. Guy to like. You're an easy guy to like. Come on now. Hey, I'll take it, man. I'll take it where I can get it. But uh, you and I have spent some time together and I've really been encouraged listening to your heart and, uh, you know, kind of uh, at once upon a time, you're like, hey, Peyton, I want to I want to comp you for a, for a church plan or whatever. Yeah. And you gave me a package and that was rad, man. That really showed your heart. But, you know, more importantly, um, I remember once I met up with you in Atlanta Yep. And we went and ate Mexican food. I remember that. And then on the way, you were like, hey, man, see that? Over I got to take you to this. I know you'll get this. I know you'll appreciate it. You took me over to where they film Stranger Things. That's and great. right then, that cemented our friendship. That was, <laughs> That's the day I knew. This guy, I don't know if he's a nerd or not, but he knew that that was going to be cool. And yeah, I, watched, right. I watched you get fired up. We talked about Jesus for a while and you were fired up. Then we pointed out Stranger Things and you were like fired up. And so, yeah, it's it, that set is right around that corner from our offices and lots of people stop by to take pictures and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I think I actually fainted in the passenger seat and you had to revive It was more me. like woozy. It was more like woozy. You weren't out, but you were close. Yeah, you had to dangle that hot sauce over my nose and yeah, you know, kind of like smelling right salt. But hey, man, let's let's go ahead and get started here today. Our topic today is about people that want to start a church. And here we are in COVID-19, right? We're in a pandemic and it's not the world as we once knew it. It is a brave new world. But uh, one of the things that I want to talk about today, and I know you do as well, is uh, for church planners, what are the steps that that need to be taken. But before we do that, just tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about uh, Start Church and what you do. Sure. Well, uh, you know, uh, Jesus changed my life uh, 25 years ago. It was growing up, growing up without knowing the Lord at all, had a really just encounter with Jesus when I was 19 years old and God changed my life. I was born again. And uh, I knew that from there, I had a passion to see the kingdom grow. And I went to, uh, I, I didn't go to church before that. And the church that I found was planted by a church planner. And he always talked about planting churches, planting churches. So I thought that's what people do. You give your life to Jesus, you go and plant churches. And so uh, my wife and I, we've planted a couple of churches already. And we just have a real passion to see church planners have somebody behind them and cheerleaders. I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to uh, have the day in and day out grind of church planning. And then uh, I know what it's like to break through and see people get saved and see their lives change. 
in the midst of doing that, Peyton, you know this story. I we utilized a a organization called Start Church to help us with the legal side of all of the uh, paperwork and our five hundred one c three and all of that. And after our church plant, they had an opportunity for somebody to come on staff with them, and I did. That was almost twelve years ago, uh, and I started on their team, and I just uh, took over as CEO last year. Yeah, last year now, and. Um, it's been phenomenal. What we try to do day in and day out is answer the biggest administrative problems for church planners. Most people can preach and teach and make disciples and they have a passion for their city. What they hate doing is the legal side, the bookkeeping side, all the administrative, and we want to come along and just make those things as easy as possible. And so that's what we do at Star Church every day. That's so cool, man. I did not know that you became the CEO. So congrats, man. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. But I do remember when I was there in headquarters with you, you did introduce me to the then CEO. And as he left the room, you said, one day I'll kill him or take his place. And that was, you know, I I didn't judge, you know, it was fine. Um, One day this will be mine. No, I'm teasing. But, you know, honestly, man, like you have such a passion for church planning and you have such a passion for um, all of the, 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 the struggles and the pain. But, you know, we're in a totally different world, as I said before, like um, years ago. When, when I started a church plan, I could go to like legal zoom or some of that stuff and the world, the times they be a changing. Um, it's not like that anymore. Tell us a little bit about some of the recent changes that have happened that, that kind of might add to the headache that church planners might have and, and limited some of the solutions. Yeah. Well, you know, more and more that, you know how this is. So the church a generation ago had this sense of honor, even in many times secular institutions like the government and these sort of things. Uh, but a lot of times the church has lost some of that honor, at least lost some of that respect with culture. And there's become a higher scrutiny on the local church. We're seeing uh, recently the tax um, nonprofit tax enforcement project from the IRS put $300 million toward reinvigorating their enforcement presence in the nonprofit world. That's huge. They, they did a, a cursory audit of 1,023 churches and gave out an average of $20,000 in fines. That's a huge deal. Most churches couldn't even handle that. And Peyton, what we're finding, you know, it's it's like almost never anything malicious. It's that people don't have training. They don't have somebody in their corner coaching them through how to do these things. So you got men and women called of God who didn't get any training in school on how to run the nonprofit side of their ministry. And really there, it's a lot of the front that people are battling. So there's been a shift toward the local church. Uh, there's been a lot more scrutiny. The Freedom From Religion Foundation actually sued the IRS saying that they were too lenient on churches, uh, trying to challenge the housing allowance. You know this, like if many church planners were to lose their housing allowance deduction, my gosh, I mean, a lot of them just wouldn't be able to afford to stay in ministry. And so that sort of changing landscape has really changed. And then even this year, as if we didn't have enough going on with 2020, the IRS fundamentally changed the way they process the 1020, uh, the 1023 or the, the application for the 501c3, they only do it online now. And it was difficult. I mean, it was a huge shift. The IRS assumes you're going to spend about 150 hours on that application. And we had to go back, research, retool, and relaunch our whole team on how to do that. And uh, we've had a great year. We've, had, we've seen several hundred more churches plant through Star Church this year than last year. And um, uh, we know some big players in that space who've just decided not to be in that space anymore. It's just too cumbersome. 
And what we're trying to do, we're, we love Jesus and we love the kingdom and we want to see the kingdom grow. And so when church planners are, are getting their documents with us or, you know, letting us serve them, it really is us trying to see them grow. And they know that they have people, you know, who love Jesus and who, who love God trying to help them get planted. And so that's, that's so cool, man. And I know that, you know, it means a lot for people to know that um, someone at the helm of an organization like Start Church is an actual church planner. Yeah. Um, has been on the front lines uh, of church planning itself. So that's really, really cool. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so here's the, here's the golden question. And by the way, for those of you watching, if you want to put your um, questions in to the chat, um, listen, this is going to be coming from, I know we covered some very similar things last week, but um, now's your time for all those questions you can ask. And, you know, again, this is a totally different institution and a totally different group. But um, Nathan's going to have some unique answers because Start Church is unique in the fact that they are church planners. They deal exclusively with churches, um, you know, and they're they're believers. So, I mean, that's something that uh, you don't always take for granted um, when you're, you know, working with another organization. So um, go ahead and hit. Uh, us with questions at any time. They'll be dropped into the chat if you enter them in, and then we will take them up. We'll ask Nate any of those that you have. But first off, the the golden question is, uh, if you're a church planner, what steps do you need to take to establish a legal foundation? And maybe before we even, um, before you answer that, tell us what we mean. What does that mean, a legal foundation? Why can't the church just hang out and kumbaya and sing songs and preach a gospel. What, why is there some need for a legal foundation? So these are, that's great questions. I love that. Uh, Let me first, I'll say I'm not an attorney nor the son of an attorney. And so this is not to be considered legal advice. Um, Go, if you need that, you you can uh, research your local attorney for that. So Bible study lesson, you know this, right? The Ecclesia is God calling men and women unto a spiritual family, right? He calls them out and calls them a spiritual family. That is the local church. And they'll never, you know, get to heaven and stand before Jesus. And he goes, let me see your incorporation papers. I want to see if you are a real church. That's, that's not the truth, right? The church is the people. In our country, the church, the spiritual family, can choose to start a corporation to manage its assets. You know this truth, right? If you own a building, are you on all these sound systems? Are you on any of these sort of things? Most church planners right now, want to use a corporation to manage those assets. If somebody were to fall and get hurt or a kid gets hurt, they want to have the limited legal liability that a, that a corporation would start. So there's a spiritual people starting a legal corporation to manage their assets. It's really what it is, okay? And so when we see, and you know, I've seen thousands of churches get pl- uh, planted in the last couple of years, 100% of the churches that are calling Start Church are saying, I want to start, number one, with my articles of incorporation. I want to get... Uh, I want to get incorporated, you know, and so that's filing articles of incorporation at the state level. And um, there's there's some really unique things here. Let me, let me give you something a lot of people miss. You can go to, and I won't mention them, you can go to any sort of secular entity to get articles, okay, articles of incorporation. The truth is they'll be legal, but they won't be ecclesiastical. Here's what's missing. The scriptures are missing and ordination language. So I'm just as legal as Piggly Wiggly, but my church doesn't have the ability to license and ordain legally because it's not in my beginning paperwork. And if you have somebody doing your paperwork who isn't a believer, they don't even think about that, right? They just fill out the legal minimums. 
So they're starting with getting your articles. Then the next step, I mean, everybody needs a bank account, right? So they get their FEIN, that federal employer identification number. And Peyton, I just beg people to take, slow down and get the right number. So when you're, if you go to uh, uh, the, the website right now to get an FEIN number, you and I could do it in 10 minutes, right? But because many pastors are happy clickers, they will click uh, non, uh, a religious nonprofit instead of church. And you know what happens? The IRS gets alerted that you're starting a ministry, which is different than starting a church. And if you're starting a ministry, you have to fill out a tax return every year. So the IRS says, hey, this ministry is starting. Great. We expect a tax return. If you don't fill out a tax return for two years, they will, they will close you. You'll actually be revoked in your 501c3 status. And I just had a church. I was speaking at an event. He said, hey, man, can you? It was one of the speakers. Hey, can you check out my church? See if we did this right. Peyton, he had been revoked for two years. Didn't even know it. He was in the Northeast. He had millions of dollars come through his ministry. And he had been totally revoked because the person who got the EIN for him got the wrong one. Didn't get it for a church. So, Take your time, get your articles of incorporation file, get your EIN number, and then the bylaws. I think other than the scriptures, this may be the most important document in the ministry. You know, I mean, this is what says who's in charge, how we handle conflict, what we believe. I mean, you need, you need bylaws that say the pastor is the final say-so in polity and ecclesiology as the church. Who's the final say-so in beliefs? You know, last thing you want is some guy walking in church and saying, I think I'm called to be the pastor. We vote you out. I want you to say Article 4 says that isn't happening, <laughs> you know, and then and then applying Good. for the 501c3 status. We're seeing that be very important, especially for larger donors. Peyton, I've seen people call us and oh, say, yeah. can you get the 501c3 for us? And we say, we'd love to apply. They say, Whew, thank God. Got a large donor who wants to give to us and they want my documentation. Can you get that to me by Thursday? And we're like. It's going to take months, you know, the IRS wow. is so far behind. And so we encourage people to do those steps. If that's right for them, they do it those four steps ahead of time. You know, and what I would recommend, uh, Nathan, is when you get that scenario, tell them, you know, Peyton Jones over here, yeah, he uh, serial church planner, just send them that, <laughs> that way. I know. It's I'm just teasing. No, it's but, there's people that want to do that. And there are, there are CPAs saying, make sure that you're, you know, going to get a write-off for it. And so a church, true. a church that doesn't have that, they'll say, Hey, I appreciate this. We're the l- larger gift. I'm going to take to somebody who's already done that. And- That's really good. That's really good. Well, we have our first question and not that we can't still walk down that path of what steps they need to take to establish a legal foundation. This may actually tie in with it, but the first question from the audience is, do you treat 501c3 in ministry as you would LLCs in business? For example, if I had more than one campus, should I have more than one 501c3? Great question. We get that a lot. There's, there's really two, two paths I've seen churches take. Many churches in that situation choose to file what's called a group exemption patent. They have a, they have a headquarters church, and then they have daughter churches. The headquarters church will file for what's called group exemption, basically giving them a large umbrella of tax exemption and all of their daughter churches fall with underneath that group. That means each individual church doesn't need to individually apply Um, a lot. It kind of makes you the little denomination, if you will. I mean, that's an odd term to use on that, but that's kind of what happens. 
Uh, then there's other churches that decide they want all independent churches with their own federal determination letters. Uh, and they usually tie the relationship together through some covenantal agreement. Those are typically the two paths that people are going down right now for that. Does that make sense? It does. And you actually, you're raising something that um, actually is a question I have, which is as a planter, what I'll often do is I'll plant a hub Mm -hmm. and then coming out of that, I'll plant subsequent churches. And I I, I don't remember um, if we worked together on that front before, but if, if I plant a series of churches, are you saying that that it might be beneficial for me to be a mini denomination in that case or be set up in that way? So many churches in that situation are choosing that. And here's what they're trying to think. OK, listen, let, let's pull apart for a second that we're just talking about the legal structure. Spiritual families are connected via relationship. But. When you have a church that plants another church, we've seen a lot say, you're another church, but we share a bank account, right? And you're not separately incorporated. Hey, you know what happens when a kid gets hurt at this church or somebody sues this church? They don't even really exist as a legal entity. They're just an arm. It's like my thumb. It's just connect, It's one hand, right? What a lot of people are saying, though, is saying, I want to protect this set, the different assets. I want to protect the different buildings or, or whatnot. And so I'm a church that I'll plant another church with its own incorporation, its own 501c3 and everything. And then I'm overseeing that relationally through covenant. Okay. So that's typically the way we're seeing people do it. You can have one church with a bunch of multiple campuses and there's one corporation and one 501c3. It's a hairball from a, uh, from, from an administrative standpoint, but most people don't like that because of the liability standpoint. Well, yep. this this just came up this week. Um, I was speaking with uh, the the gentleman that does the insurance for one of the churches that I planted, which now is um, merging with a few other churches. And wow. the question was because there were monies, all these different four churches. No, sorry, five churches, like the Battle of Five Kings. Wow. They're all coming together and merging. Uh, meanwhile, there was a huge chunk of the church that I had planted that said, we still want to do the same mission. So we're going to stay here, but we're not going to become a church. We will become a ministry, sure. carry out that mission. Yeah. So there, but, but then the question became, do we keep the entity open for a year? Yeah. Um, distribute all the monies during that time, because we didn't want to Part, part of the problem is when you're a church and you have missionaries, you have ministry obligations, you can't just cut that off. And we didn't want the the bookkeeper on that other side of the merge to inherit all of our obligations. So we agreed, let's keep them separate. But then the insurance guy said exactly what you're talking about. He said, you should really shut it down and disperse the money now. Yeah. Because if anyone in this chain gets sued because of your connection, all of you are now liable. And even though you're separate organizations, you have merged. Even if you keep that organization open as its own entity, you then become liable because you are in fact a merger. Yeah. Whenever those mergers and everything, I always suggest, you know, get an attorney involved and just, they can track all of that down, but I am seeing people wisely think through, am I taking on any liability? You know, in in this story, or am I a successor for another organization? You know, is there anything I'm I'm taking with me? I love mergers. I love seeing people say, man, if me and Peyton and Brooks, we all connect together, man, we could do some killer things for the kingdom. We're seeing a lot of these older churches 
And I say that, that they're, they're, they have a building and they have an older age congregation and these newer church plants coming in and they're merging, you know, and you've got this building that now has this, this new fresh life coming into it because yeah. they merged. I just love that. You know? I do as well. And, you know, another one of the questions that came up, it, it kind of puts an international flair on it. It says, what does that look like if the other campus is outside the U.S.? Yeah, that's a real great question. We just had somebody, we have a church that we work with in New York. They're starting one in Europe. Uh, I, we don't work outside of the U.S. So I really don't know. I do know that a lot of church plants that are planting in, in other countries are starting a U.S. base here to be able to receive funds and those sort of things. And then the, that organization, that ministry is is helping to fund that. But uh, once it gets outside of the the states here, it's outside of my purview. Yeah. And most countries have their own version of this. Yeah. And uh, I planted overseas and I was kind of surprised to, to find that um, pretty much like what we have, other countries have the same thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So uh, here's here's one of the questions. Um, so first, I want to check, did we answer satisfactorily the steps that we need to take for a legal foundation? Yeah, so I'm seeing everybody do articles, get incorporated, get an EIN number, get your bylaws, get your 501c3. The last kind of caveat is a next step is if they want to come on staff, I'm seeing people do a compensation agreement. You know, a lot of people, I don't know what it is about the church, but oftentimes they just don't understand contracts or feel bad about right. And so we're giving, you know, we're giving the guy a Holy ghost handshake, you know, and there's a hundred dollar bill in it. And thanks for the, the pay and all that kind of stuff <laughs> and, and, or no contracts at ever. Right. But in order, there really should be a contract between the minister and the ministry. Hey, in consideration for services rendered as a pastor, we're going to pay you this amount, you know? And so that's usually the, the fifth step that a lot of pastors are taking, wanting to make sure they get that right from the very beginning. That's good. Um, that it's on the up and up, you know. That's good. And by the way, I'm not wine bibbing during this. My wife brought me a smoothie because, you know, she loves me. And You're already me. on my prayer list. Don't worry about hey, it. You're great. Hey, You're great. hey <laughs> if that's the there. least of, of, of the things you got to pray about for me, I, we're doing good. But um, okay, so that's really helpful. So uh, one of the things that uh, I know it's important, you mentioned already ordaining, like you yeah. have to make sure that you're able to ordain. Um, what if someone starts up like an independent church? Let's yeah. say they're they're not a Baptist or they're yeah. not a, a Methodist. They just start off, they're like, hey, you know, we're the first church of the Yahoos of Southern yeah. California and we're going to, uh, how do they ordain? What's their legal uh standing for, or I know the states are usually pretty heavily involved in that, but can they ordain? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I just checked uh, first church of the year. The URL is gone. So you might need oh, Dang it. <laughs> I knew it. I was going to jump on that one. Yeah. So or, let's, let's, again, I want to zoom out. Let's talk about spiritual and legal ordination. Spiritual ordination is God calling a man or woman unto the gospel, right? Paul said, when it's please God separate me from my mother's womb, Jeremiah, you know, I was, I was called by God. Again, you're not going to get before Jesus. And he goes, were you called? Hey, let me see your ordination card. Oh, you were called, right? Like there's a spiritual calling that is, it is recognized by fruit. Paul says the people are the seal of my apostleship, right? Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It's good. In our country, people with that spiritual call, our government actually wants to give benefits to certain tax exemptions, the ability to do weddings and those kind of things, um, visiting prisons. However, the IRS doesn't know how to select who does and doesn't. They don't know how to discern who does and doesn't have the call, right? So here's what they did. 
If a church will follow a, a formalized process, some sort of process that where they show how they select it, who is and isn't a minister, if they do it like that, the IRS subsequently will say, then we'll recognize your discernment. If you say they have the call, we'll give them the, subsequently we'll give them the rights. Does that make sense? And so when we're talking about somebody who has a spiritual call now wanting to be ordained, we're talking about it from a legal standpoint, okay? The ability to do weddings, to take a housing allowance, to visit prisons, those sort of things. And the beauty of it is church planters can create a, a great process in their church plant where they can be ordained through their own church. I'm not talking about laying hands on themselves. You know what I mean? None of that sort of stuff. I'm talking about having a formalized process in your church plant that recognizes who does and doesn't have the call of God unto ministry. And the pastor goes through that process, just like everybody else will ever send out. And so once that's that process is done, then should they take a housing allowance, for example, and get audited, and the, the IRS says, well, only people who are ordained can take that tax exemption. Show me your ordination. They can go to the process they went through, case closed. That, does that mm. make sense? Yep, so we're absolutely. talking about the legal side. And yeah, they can do it through their church. And that's, you know, you know how it is. Unfortunately, sometimes when people say I'm called, they go to their pastor and say I'm called to plant a church. They don't get the right hand fellowship. They get the left foot. And they yeah. leave with a sense of lacking validation, even though they're clearly called by God. Now, with planting their own church, they can actually have that legal ordination behind them. So they can take tax deductions. So they can do weddings and that sort of thing. And Peyton, that's, that's become a lot more of a hot topic, um, ordination and weddings. I'm in Atlanta. If you can spell pastor, you can do a wedding in Atlanta. That's really, really low. But if you go to the north or the edges, there's some real steps you need to do. Some states make you actually go before a judge. Uh, to show your ordination. So I say all that to say, having your legal ordination in place, eyes dotted, T's crossed, going through a process, it isn't, it isn't determining whether you're spiritually called. It's determining whether you're legally prepared. And that's right. what ordination is about. Hey, and I'll just say they had uh, Pete Mitchell, my co-host on the Church Planner podcast. They, uh, he, he, I guess, got a little bit of an inferiority complex after years of podcasting to church planners. He's a businessman and, uh, and he went and got ordained. No joke. He actually got ordained so that, you know, he could, uh, he could just say he was. So, yeah, I get but it. they'll have anybody, Nate. They'll have, if they'll have Pete, they'll have anybody. That's all I'm saying. So church planner, there's hope for you, but, uh, <laughs> Okay, so uh, let me ask you this, because this is what I run into. I deal with a lot of people that are um, <clears throat> highly apostolic. Um, sometimes they're prophetic. If, if you're, we're taking Alan Hirsch's Forgotten Ways, a past uh, gift. <laughs> Not Alan Hirsch. I, I guess it'd be Paul's, right? The Ephesians. Yeah, I've heard that uh, before. Yeah, that's. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Paul book. came up with it first, uh, popularized, I suppose, in yeah. the modern church by Alan yeah. Hirsch. Thank God for him. Yeah. But uh, as. As you, um, I encounter anyways, the guys, that, this is what I hear. And I'll, I'll, I'll feel like such the, uh, the old dawdling professor, you know, kind of the dad figure trying to talk sense into them. They'll be like, look, we're just going to go on mission. We're not concerned about any of that yeah. stuff. We don't need no tax deduction, you know, and, and I have all my answers ready. Sure. But I come across these guys all the time. So uh, one of the questions that I know, because, you know, you, planners are 
They're just like herding cats, man. And trying to teach them anything. God help you. I used to train church planners for a living. But uh, how does having a 501c3 tax-exempt status actually help a church? Yeah, there's a couple of great, and that's a great question. We get that a lot, okay? And I think a lot of pastors, by the way, just to zoom out just a bit here, Peyton, to give you context for that, a lot of pastors are scared of being controlled. You know, they're scared of being silenced for the gospel. They think, if I get incorporated or I get my 501c3, I can't preach X subject or whatever. Um, and, and they haven't been trained. And so there's all this bad advice out there. You know, I get uh, churches all the time say that church is automatically tax exempt. And they quote Section 508C1A of the tax code. Do you know what C1A really basically says? 508 says, it says that whether you apply or, or not, the IRS is going to judge your church's tax exempt status based on a set of criteria, which is found in Section 501c3. And here's what happens. I find guys say, I'm automatically tax exempt. And I say, who's on your board? What's well, me and my wife? Who, how do you set your salary? How do we take a tithe of the tithe? And they start violating all these rules of Section 501c3. It doesn't matter if they call themselves a church or not. You become tax exempt by adherence to a set of regulations, not because you call yourself a church. Does that make sense? And so there's all this misinformation out there. And I, and I get it. Pastors are weary. They're, they don't know who to trust in some of these sort of things. As far as the 501c3, the reason I see a lot of people apply for it, first off, and this may be funny, but it is in preparation for financial gifts. You know, look all through the scriptures. Just this week, I'm, I'm, I'm going through Luke in my own personal time. And it says Jesus was supported by these women who helped out of their abundance, right? Uh, it is right, I feel like, when God calls a man or a woman unto the gospel, and there is a sense of passion, there is also people who are called at that same time to help fund that call, right? So somebody over yeah. here is getting a call to give, while somebody over here is getting a call to go. In our country, preparing for that gift, you know, mm. in the sense of the 501c3, makes all the sense in the world, you know? Mm. Um, so uh, preparing for that, here's another one uh, from a church planner standpoint, the biggest thing besides just the hordes of hell coming against us as a church planner, the big thing you got to struggle with going into a new community is trust, right? They don't know you from, from anybody. And one of the things people start doing now is they start Googling when they see new church opening. And I'm telling you, it can lead them to publication 78, which is the list of all known charities. And there's something about a trust factor that says, hey, we went through the process. Look at the Secretary of, of State. Yep. We went through that, right? Look at there's accountability. There yeah. is. There's this sense of, hey, guys, I'm trying to earn your trust. Yeah. And I know, I know this is a church planner podcast. I know no planner gets fired up. 501c3. You know, I know nobody's, you know, excited about bylaws until it matters. Until somebody who's lost said, man, babe, we should check out this church. They seem to have it together. You know, yep. let, let's go give it a shot. That's 100% right. And, and really, I mean, it, I always tell planners, you are the church's biggest liability. And we know that to be true. Like when a minister falls, when a minister steals money, when anything goes, that's the person with the power. And so even, even having these things in place, the way that I often tell people is this is protection against you and your darker side. And if you can't acknowledge that that's necessary to be there, you're probably not called to ministry yeah. because all ministries, all ministers recognize the need for accountability. Everybody recognizes, like when I plan a church, I don't touch the money. Yeah. It never comes through my hands. I'm not a checkbook signer. I don't make deposits. I don't count. I don't, I'm not involved. Yeah. Right. Um, in case 
a paycheck ever makes its way into my bank account, I have not been a part of anything other than showing up and doing the work. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, one, one of the questions, it's funny, my daughter listens to uh, a bunch of music I don't. And one of the lyrics that gets stuck in my head is my lip gloss be popping. Now I can't use that in any walk of my life so far, but I can say the questions be popping today, right? See what I did there? That's that good. was I a see. transition. Yeah, you know, uh, you got to make a living. But uh, anyways, um, the, the question that came in is any advice for making a transition from being under the sinning church and best timing for legally incorporating? So they're being sent out. They're operating under the umbrella like we did. Refuge Huntington Beach is sending Refuge Long Beach. The monies yeah. can share the name or operate under a DBA doing business as. Yeah. What's the best timing for becoming like Pinocchio going from a wooden boy to a real boy? It's a great question. Um, I, I'm going to assume this is amiable. I'm going to assume that somebody's being sent <laughs> out. You know? Yes, they're, uh, not, they're not being booted out with a giant boot. They're yeah. being sent out. Or they're out not running out. They're being sent we, out, right? They're so, on the dock with the Ephesian elders. That's what we're talking about. Crying and <laughs> hugging. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I love it. So um, I think it's it's best in it, that it matches the story of the sending church. I've seen it a bunch of different ways, Peyton. I've seen a lot of churches that say, while we're we're come we're being sent out the year leading up to it, we actually have our own organization, our own bank account. We're actually tithing there, or we're we're raising funds so that we have financial momentum by the time we launch. And the sending church can go, you've got this, right? I've also seen it the other way that the sending church uh, continues to maintain giving, receiving gifts till the anniversary or or said, said point. And then they launch. I say all that to say it can happen whenever. Usually it's a it's a step toward uh, financial independence. And so when the sending church feels like it's the best time, that could be before launch or after launch. That's when I've seen the two major time frames chosen to do that. Is it ever beneficial for a church plant to say, you know, we're just going to keep this arrangement with the mothership? In other words, uh, they have the big staff. We don't. We're going to funnel that mission toward, or money towards mission. Is it ever beneficial for them to keep on that? Plenty of times. The real liability is on the sending church. Usually they're the ones with the assets and the building and the more liability. And then you've got this rogue church planner out here. And I say rogue, like, you know, church planner, we will do whatever. And we've got lights and we've got, you know, somebody hanging from the, <laughs> from the deal as a sermon illustration as the youth pastor. And they're kind of leveraging the liab- the buildings of the sending church if they're not separately incorporated. Does that make sense? It so does. I'm finding most times it's the sending church at some point going, hey, let's go ahead and build a little bridge here so that you're acting on your own. You know, like uh, there's a sense uh, of protection on that as well. I will tell you, when we tried to stay on as long as possible, we were suckling at the teat for a couple of years. And finally, yeah. they said... Uh, they pushed us off. They said, hey, uh, at a certain because it was really working well for us. But like you said, we were a liability and we were doing some pretty hardcore and edgy mission. Yeah. Um, so I understood the sentiment. They're like, hey, what's happening in Long Beach? I mean, we had teachers getting bit by pit bulls. We had a knife fight break out in church. We had one of our members shot and killed by police. I oh mean, it, it was, it was radical, hardcore, you know, the transgender prostitute trying to use a lady's room, you know, yeah. on a, on a Sunday morning and way before target and all that stuff. And yeah, yeah. We we're having to deal with a lot of things that, that were liabilities. And 
And, you know, the other side of this too, I'm just going to put on my church planner hat for a second. There is something about when they go all in financially, you know, when you're like, okay, it's us now, you know what I mean? We're believing for something. And in my first church plant, I, I raised a fair amount of finances. So we didn't have to, I raised it on my own. I raised a lot of finances for my first church plant. Okay. I felt like I needed to do that. You know what I recognized? The people who were with me, many of them didn't value the resources I had raised because they, it, they didn't require their faith. So they would get a wireless mic, and be like, ah, mic, throw it into the drawer, right? And it, that mic would end up breaking. When you see them starting to believe, when you don't have, uh, I'll say this, when you don't have a highly funded atmosphere and you're actually getting them involved in the finances, hey guys, we got to believe for this mic. Like we got to, when they get the mic, they're like, this is the mic the Lord hath provided, <laughs> you know? And they're putting it into the, uh, there's something pastoral that becomes really unique when we're starting to get engaged in the finances and it's requiring our faith. Does that make sense? That's that's huge, man, because it, it's like that with kids, right? I mean, your kids at a certain point start going, mom, dad, why don't you get this one? And you're like, because that costs monies. Yeah. So yeah, no, I get that. That's great. Well, tell me, um, uh, does Start Church, we've been talking a lot about church plants. Yeah. Does Start Church actually provide any services for established churches? Because a lot of our audience are, are people that want to multiply, and they're probably sitting here going, huh, what, is, what can Start Church do for me as an established church? We've helped over 17,000 churches get started, which we've been doing this 20 years. That's insane. And it has been the most amazing journey. And what we realized about a decade ago, even going 20 years, about a decade ago, we realized, wow, there's a lot of people that they're still going. <laughs> you know, we started them and they've got fresh needs and fresh challenges. And so really every day we wake up and say, what's the latest need that a pastor or ministry leader has in administration or finance? How can we solve that for them? And so um, two major ways we've done in the last couple of years. Number one is bookkeeping. Um, very, very few church planters are great with money. Very, very few of them love bookkeeping reports or even understand anything about a PL or any, any of those kind of stay the cash flow position. Uh, statement. Uh, And so we started a bookkeeping department by believers, people that understand the church, know the church, love Jesus and love the church that are real good, accurate bookkeepers. And we do bookkeeping for hundreds of churches all over America. Uh, We do all the reconciliation. We produce all the reports for them. They have a personal bookkeeper on the start church team. We found that has helped establish churches like never before. I mean, we can help them with budgeting, especially in these, what I call cash fluidity seasons, you know, you need somebody intimately involved to be able to help you with your trends, to see where you're going and um, help you get where you need to go. So that's the first area is bookkeeping. We're finding that a huge need. And then we're releasing a new tool. We just released it to our team uh, about three weeks ago called our Get Right Software Tool, where churches that have been established, but they didn't do it right on the front end. They didn't do their own corporation right or they didn't do their, their bylaws as they've learned like, oh, I wish I had that in my bylaws, or I wish I, I could update my 501c3 application. This software tool allows them to do it themselves, to actually walk through the process and update it. And so um, it's being, it's, it was uh, beta released a couple of weeks ago, will be released to the general public Q1 of next year. That's going to be huge. We're finding a lot of churches saying, I, we've been going 10 or 20 years. We've not updated our bylaws. You know, the people that were on our board aren't on our board anymore. Or when we started our bylaws, there was no such thing as I needed to have a decision on same-sex marriage or how we are or are not handling that kind of thing. 
And so they needed a tool to do that. This type of software tool really helps them, you know, make decisions for their own church and update it. So those are the two major ways. You know, what about a church or a ministry um, that comes to you and says, Hey, Nathan, you know, we, uh, we were one of those who made the mistake, like, or maybe we didn't make the mistake. Like I, I found it 20 years ago, um, the new breed network, which yeah. is a, a training network. Actually at that time it wasn't training. It was just helping to, to get people out there. And then later it kind of morphed into a training network because yeah. we had gotten out there, but you know, now we, we have raised the question a few times, should we uh, be a, a network of churches? We're a training network. We don't, we don't claim that they can belong to any denomination. So we've stayed away from becoming a denomination because we're like, well, we serve people from other denominations. We just provide training. But then we have wondered, should we be classified as a church planning organization, a church, a church or a family of churches? So that's been something we've wondered. And is that something you or a ministry? Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah, yeah. To transition from a ministry to a church. Is that something that, that you guys, I've seen it both ways. I've seen a ministry start that a church gets birthed out of, you know, it's a, a once a month bikers for Jesus that turns into a church. Yeah. And so they've been that way. And I've seen other churches, they started as a church, but really the calling on the minute on the pastor was more like a minister. They didn't mm-hmm. want regular services. They wanted to be able to do these events or whatever and seeing them transition that way. That's called a reclassification. We see that all the time. Churches choosing to do that uh, both ways. And, and there's benefits on both sides. And really the minister knows, you know, they usually know which one and uh, when they hear the benefits. So a church oftentimes need to have a plan for growth this is what the IRS is looking for. A plan for growth, how to determine who's a member or a part, regular meetings, things like that, scripture and a minister. When they see, they have what they call a 14 point test. They won't define what a church is, but they'll say, we're looking generally for these things. A ministry, man, they got all the latitude in the world. You know, it could be a one quarter conference gets together. You know what I mean? There's all sorts of latitude. And we're finding a lot of people saying, I want the latitude. I don't mind filling mm. out a return. We don't have a ton of money anyway. You know what? Right. We don't have anything. We're not paying taxes on it. So we'd like yeah. to see a ministry. You can always convert, you know, reclassify as a church later. Now, I know you primarily work with churches, but do you, I know the churches probably don't have then the 990 requirement every year, which right. is that tax return. So, um, so you, you guys aren't in the business of doing that, correct? Yeah, we do. We start tons of, of ministries all the yeah, time. Really? Listen, okay. if they love Jesus, we are behind them. <laughs> nice. No, well, we, we should don't. be talking about a 990 this year because yeah. uh, I so think I pay the wrong people to do that. <laughs> well, we have a whole uh, a tax service. Our, we have a whole tax team. You know, uh, again, what are the pastor's challenges? When I was a church planner, my first church plan, I called my wife, the little story. I called my wife and said, can you go file our taxes at the big you know, box store around the corner. Uh, I, I don't have time to do it. I'm doing the thing. She said, no problem. She called me and she said, honey, we owe, I think it was like $2,000. I said, there's no way we're broke church planners. Right. Who tithe and have a housing allowance. Yep. I went up there, educated the individual on, uh, on the housing allowance. And we got back either two or 4,000. I can't remember. It's been a long time now. That was a massive swing for me as a church planner. So you need to have a tax preparer who understands yeah. 
the unique situation pastors are in. So we have an entire uh, tax department. We do 990s every year, all of the ends, easy and longs, you know, depending on their, on their income brackets. And again, you've got people filling those out who know the church specific, the ministry specific questions to ask. And so another way we, we help existing churches I thought you guys did ministries before, but I, you know, today when you're like, Hey, our specialty is, you know, churches in particular, I'm sure it's all of it. But I mean, I know you guys are kind of like the experts, like nobody knows the church incorporation and filing and setting up all that. Like you guys, like you're just, you're, you're the guys that everybody right away thinks of now price point can be a concern at times. Cause I know sometimes you guys have, uh, you know, you've you've had these packages that are that are maybe out of reach for some church planners, but I also know from talking to you and getting to know you a bit that that's that's kind of you and I had a chat. That in fact, that's why I visit the office because you're like, hey, we realize that ninety percent of the churches out there are actually small and they're low to the ground and they're not these big, heavily funded. And I know you guys are, were working a few years ago to really address that. Yeah. Um, kind of let me know, like, I, I'm not asking for prices or anything, but yeah. what, what can people expect when they come? Like, you know, is there a range that you offer? Is there uh, something? Yeah, that- absolutely. No, it's a great question. Listen, it takes money to do ministry, right? And so we know that we, uh, it's going to take uh, some resources and we have to keep the lights on as well. So we can't do everything for free. But Peyton, we're into helping people, right? As much as possible. So first off, our largest package is probably the the standard package, which is called our Start Right Package, which does the articles and the bylaws and the 51C3, and we'll partner with you and however you want that done. It's about $5,000 less than just your average attorney. You get the software and the free clerical services, $5,000 less. So first off, we in and of itself is pretty inexpensive, but then we offer an interest-free payment program. Like at the end of the day, we have people call and say, I don't have, mm. have this money. That's cool. Work with me. And we say, yeah. And I'll be honest with you now. We, we uh, say funny saying this, but we had people call us during the COVID thing and say, hey, I, my church is a meeting and I, I don't know what to do. And we said, we got you. Just yeah. when it comes back, we just kept working for them. You know, we've got software tools that people say, I can't, I can't afford to have somebody help me. Can I do it myself? And we have a software tool that's super inexpensive. So no matter where they are on the journey, we feel like our job is to get behind them and cheer them on, you know? Yeah. And, um, I think you I guys think- do more than that too. I, when I came, I saw your studio, you were, you were looking at getting some stuff up and ready. I just happened to have on my shelf right here. I keep this thing kind of close by yeah. sequence, which is a step-by-step guide to church planning, which I remember when this thing came out, it was rock and roll. And yeah. I keep this close by me at all times. I believe. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Hey, I'm going to tell you guys, and you guys are actually the first to hear about this. Can't tell you all about it, but I have not talked about this publicly. You're going to see a tool come out over the next year based on that information that I think is going to be a game changer for church planners. I think yeah. we're about to help church planters have a tool like never before yeah. so that to make it efficient on how to plan a church, how to have as much coaching as they need between, I want people to spend more time on ministry than they are in administration. So what can I do? I can streamline that process, make it as easy as possible. And what we're working on, I, I again, I haven't talked about it publicly. It's going to be what I think is a game changer as a church plan. That's cool. I just, you know, I wanted people to know that, that you guys also have a heart for, for planners to actually, 
learn how to plant. Like you hold their hands for more than just this stuff because you guys were planners. And I remember uh, when we were sitting in your office, you um, you said, Peyton, there's times we get calls and we end up talking to these planners on the other end about actual planting, like not the other stuff where we're counseling. Some of these guys are like, I just, I'm overwhelmed. I want to quit. And there's actual real ministry going on because again, it's planters helping planners. Yeah. We see prayer all the time. First off, you know, people don't know this. We have live worship every Wednesday morning at our offices where we're just, we're seeking the Lord together. Uh, We genuinely do want to see people encouraged so church planners, call, I, I just had, uh, we do a boot camp for new people when they uh, get hired on our team. And this week we just had five or six new people start. And I told them about Monday and I said, you know what happens on Monday? You get a lot of pastors sometimes that are a little cranky, you know? And I said, the reality is they might were believing for something this weekend that maybe didn't happen, or they're dealing with something really heavy. And we want you to minister to them. We want you to feel free to pray for them, you know, to encourage them. I think that's the biggest thing. I, I personally and, and our founder, Raul Rivera, we feel called to encourage people. And so when they, t- they call Star Church, they're, they're going to get encouraged one way or the other. We've had people, you know, need prayer. We've had people lose people, you know, lose. We've called for the pastor and the pastor just passed away. You know, we'll try to send a gift or serve them some way and just... Hmm. However we can, ministry's hard, man. You know this. Ministry is hard. We need yeah. believing in you. No, yeah. for sure, man. And just just the fact, like, we did the same with the network where we told guys, hey, don't, if you can't contribute, don't worry, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think that shows your heart. But also, too, that, that 0% interest-free uh, sure. or interest-free payment, that's huge. And letting, letting people pay it over time rather than all up front that right there. I did not know about that. That's huge brother. Thanks man. You know, here's something else in that we treat them like they're paid in full. In other words, we don't wait till they're paid. We just say at their first, they're saying, this is what I've got. I can put this payment down. We say we're in. So we start serving them and we're believing for the finances for them. Just like, you know, we're believing for us. And so it's a rare time Peyton, somebody has turned away, you know, and yeah, you know, we're here to help. We really are. That's great. Well, another question that came in, it's, it's first off a compliment, Mr. Camp. Hey, there's hey. respect right there. It's because you said you're a CEO. See, they were like, can't call you Nathan now. What it is. Definitely can't call you Nate. I'm going to have to start calling you Mr. Camp now too. I'm afraid. Mr. Camp, thank you for this conversation. Is there a book or resource that you recommend that church planners read? Also, uh, well, we'll yeah. stop there. They have a second question, but is there any book or resource? Uh, okay. Yeah, definitely. Up the Middle by Matt Keller. Pastor Matt Keller is the pastor of Next Level Church in Southwest Fort Myers. It's the number one book I recommend. I went step-by-step step through that book uh, when I was uh, planning our first church. Up the Middle. So here's his premise. Everybody, a, lo- a lot of people thinking I'm going to have the long bomb church, right? I'm going to plant my church and everybody's going to run. There's going to be tons of people. He said, most churches are just yard by yard. Every Sunday, we're up the middle. We're running backs. You know, we're just trying to advance the ball. Uh, so that's the book. I encourage people more than anything um, to read. And then anything that will uh, encourage your faith. You know, I read through Gates of Splendor probably once a year. It just reminds me you know, it's the big quote on my wall back here. He I was no going to say, I recognize that early yep. on today. He is no fool, gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Uh, if you ever yeah. need that, the time you need it is when you're a church planner. And so 
those two books are probably my most important that I would encourage people to get. And I've got a huge library and I love to read, but start there. Thank you. And if I could throw one in, um, I don't know if you've ever read this book, Nathan, it's called Gospel Patrons. You mentioned earlier that every time God raises someone up to do a mission, he raises others up to support him. And so uh, this book called Gospel Patrons that I, I don't have the author in front of me, amazing book, most amazing book I've ever read on right. fundraising. It takes it through the back door a little bit because it says, look, every time there's been a huge movement, God has raised up a businessman or someone wealthy yeah. like uh, Monmouth to uh, fund the translation of the English Bible. Yeah. Uh, Wycliffe, he raised him up. Um, George Whitfield, the Countess of Huntington, who mm -hmm. funded all these church plants and yeah. also Whitfield's ministry. The wealthy women you spoke about with Jesus, yeah. um, you know, God raised them up and on and on. And so the book keeps outlining all these wealthy people that God raised up so that the, the gospel could just boom. It could go forward without money being the stupidest bottleneck on the planet, which is yeah. what it is, really. Well, there's a great, uh, reminded me, you said uh, his last name is Dylan. It's called People Raising. I don't remember what his first name is, but it's called People Raising. I use it to, I went like step-by-step step through this thing on raising finances, right? I genuinely believe I have no problem asking people to invest. If God is calling into something, it's the greatest thing in the world you can invest in, right? I mean, eternal rewards, but how many fold returns? So no kidding, I, right? Huh? No kidding. Yeah. So I use the book, um, People Raising. I highly recommend that. Um, there's an art to casting vision. Again, I've got passion for something, right? I got to give that passion away. But when I'm talking to business people, they don't just need passion. They need a plan. And yeah. I have found that, that business people want to know what's the plan. How are you going to steward those finances? How, so, how are you going to spend not my money, but the money that I've entrusted to, to God's mission? How are you going to spend that? Absolutely. So I, I think that's a great, great plan and raising finance. I think people should have faith for finances. Mm, I really do. We can have faith for souls. You tell me God who owns everything. He doesn't have somebody who's loving to give. And I've met people who love to give. Yes. Who aren't going to preach. Yeah. They're not that call. Yeah. But, you know, I'm working right now on a, on a, um, something in, in Nicaragua that we're, we're getting ready to raise funds for. And I am 100% convinced in my heart, not one concern will the finances come in and I don't have it. I just know if God's in it, yeah, it's out there. You know, it's not your first rodeo. You've yeah. seen this before. Yeah. You know, the second part of that question that came in was and this is this is a fantastic question. And by the way, Brooks, who runs things behind the scenes here, he, he feeds us the questions. He said, uh, I was expecting you to get a cha-ching in there when they're asking for books, because whenever on on the Church Planner podcast, I mentioned my book, you got to throw a cha-ching. But I did not. You will all notice I did not mention my book, so uh, which would be pointless on this discussion anyways. But here's the deal. Um, his second question, which I think is kind of uh, one of the best questions I've heard come in on this topic. Um, how would you recommend micro churches handle taxes, liabilities? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, so that I'm, I'm framed right. How would you describe micro church? Was that so mean? micro church? Interestingly enough, micro church just means any group or gathering that is not in itself necessarily a church entity of its own 501c3. 
but a um, they can be, but they don't have to be. A microchurch typically is a forming or gathering around mission, a small group with a missional purpose that gathers. Now, one one microchurch, um, one church could be made up of 10, 20, 30 microchurches. Sure. Sure. Well, the, the real question is, so size doesn't matter in the eyes of the IRS, okay? We're, and we're asking legal questions here or, or compliance questions. Um, if there's 10 small groups in one local church, the local church you know, pastor gets to decide how that, that's going to be funneled. You know, does my small group each collect and give it out or do they give it to the local church head and they give it out? I couldn't say how that's supposed to be done. That's really supposed to be done at the, at the local level. We know there's tons of, let me back up and say this. Peyton, you know what I love that's happening right now is people reinventing how to be on the mission of Jesus. So one of the larger church planning organizations just put out a number that they planted 30 churches, I think in the last quarter or two. Only nine of them or 11 of them started physical. All the other ones started online right? You're seeing more and more people saying, I'm not going to start in a movie theater or start in a school. I'm going to start in my home. What's happening is there's a sense of legitimizing all the different ways of planting. And I would just say this, if you're autonomous, if no one is directly above you, then you should have some sort of accountability for your finances, right? You should probably have your own 501c3 and your own incorporation if you're totally autonomous. If you're a group within a group, you should be functioning in alignment with the group above you. You know, those are the two typical paths people are going to take. That's awesome, brother. Well, hey, Nathan, you know, hey, friend to friend, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for being a part of what Exponential is doing. Thanks for sponsoring exponential. Um, and also, man, for people that want to get in touch with you, um, we're excited about the tools you got coming out. People that want to like hear, you know, people that want to maybe consult with you, make an appointment. Um, you know, I know you've got an incredible staff there. It's not just a one guy sitting in a cubicle. Yeah. Um, you've got a whole team. Um, you've got a headquarters there. You guys are, are busy and available, but if someone wants to touch base with you, how do they get in touch? Yeah. So of course, and and thanks for that, man. I always love being on, you know, hanging out with you and talking church planning and to the people listening. Thanks for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, First off, you can always go to startchurch.com. That's our our number one. My direct personal email is Nathan, Nathan at startchurch.com. I'd love to talk. I love to encourage church planners and I love to get you to people who can help answer your problems. So if there's a challenge you have or some way you need encouragement, or you've got a question, I would love to, uh, I try to get you in the right person to solve that real simple Nathan at startchurch.com. Awesome. Well, Hey guys, Nathan is the real deal. Um, he's a good dude and start church can help you with what you're doing. So on behalf of exponential, I want to thank all of you for tuning in and for giving Nathan an opportunity to share with you about start church and his heart. And on behalf of exponential and our audience, Nathan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you in the new year. I won't see you again this side of 2020. But remember, 2021 is just going to be better because it's 2021. So Daniel Yang, my co-host, will be back and we'll be hitting it hard on front lines. See you soon.